0: Welcome to the Boss in Heels podcast with your host, Lara Nassessian, the podcast that shares the mindset, habits, tools and tactics of inspiring women. Well, hello everyone. This is Lara Nassessian and welcome to another episode of the Boss in Heels podcast, where it is my job to share the mindset, habits, tools and tactics of inspirational women. I am so happy to announce today's guest. Adrian Monteverde. Who is Adrian? Adrian is an Australian artist who recreates memorable moments through hand painted illustrations. She has grown a dedicated global following after leaving her career in the fashion industry to pursue her creative passion as an artist. I so loved this conversation with Adrian because she is so refreshingly real and provides a really honest look behind the scenes of her business. We talked about how Adrian made that transition from employee to entrepreneur, as well as some really tactical strategies in terms of how Adrian decides what she does herself versus what she delegates, her costing and pricing models of her business, how she did this all while purchasing her first investment property and going through some personal challenging circumstances at the same time and so much more. It is a really honest and refreshing take of what it really takes to build a business and build a global following. So before we get stuck into the episode, if you do enjoy this episode, and if you enjoy the show, then please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this episode on Apple Podcasts. But for now, please enjoy this really real and refreshing conversation with Adrian Monteverde. Hi, Adrian. Thank you so much for joining me on Boston Hills. Oh, thank you for having me, Lara. I was really looking forward to having this conversation with you. And as I mentioned, um, as I was having a look through your Instagram feed, I could certainly see why you have grown such an incredible global following. Uh, so many brides and brides-to-be wanting you to illustrate them on their wedding day and that there's the designs and the drawings and the illustrations that you do are just so beautiful. so I was really excited to hear more about you and how that all came to life.
1: Oh thank you yeah it's um it's a lovely little niche I feel that I've um been lucky to create over the last few years and um yeah, I love that I get to work with brides and couples. And it's such a positive um, space for me to work in. I really love it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And we're going to delve into all of that. And I want to talk about (laughs) your entrepreneurial journey and how you made that switch from employee to entrepreneur, because I know there's a lot of my audience that they are either, you know, employees that have some kind of side business or side hustle and not quite sure or not quite ready to make that leap. Um, I've got a lot of (laughs) listeners that are entrepreneurs themselves. So I feel like we're going to cover so much ground in that area. But before we do, I was wondering for those of you who may not you. Tell me a little bit about you know who you are you know who was young Adrian and <laughs> you know what was your your home and your family like life like and what really put you on this creative journey that you have delved into and um, that you really pursued today.
1: Yeah, of course. So, um, for those um, that don't know me at all, I am from Sydney. So, I believe you are too, Lara. Sydney girl, I am indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I grew up in the Hills District, and look, I come from a really like beautiful family upbringing, and everything. My um, family actually run their own business as well, so I do credit a bit of my. I guess, business side and that like entrepreneurial, um I guess, love from them because, you know, dinner tables for me were always business talk um, and growing up around that sort of environment. Um, and I've always really been creative. No matter what I do, I am, I'm always doing something creative. Like, And it's funny because growing up, I was always, I guess, like the art girl, So I was always doing something artistic, but as a career, it's not something I ever thought about. So back in, you know, being like a 90s kid and growing up and going through schooling at that time and everything, being an artist wasn't something that was easy to do and just not, it was a bit taboo to be an artist. So, you know, naturally I still wanted to be creative, but I found a love in fashion design and things like that. Something that was a bit more... I guess, a normal career at that time for a creative. Um, but yeah, I was always the art kid. Um, so growing up, um, that was like my, where I channeled everything. And that was, um, I was a bit of an introvert. So I'd be home on weekends, you know, um, a cup of, tea, cup of tea and art was my kind of Friday night. <laughs> um, which I don't know if anyone can relate to that. Probably not because as a teenager, that honestly was what I loved to do but again, like it was never really like a career for me. It was just what I loved to do. And, um, so yeah, um, then came high school and I was honestly someone that I, I literally, I think I dropped out of like, like I, I canceled like maths as the, of the subject. Like, we you know you have your electives and everything like that. I think I, um, I, I really didn't, pay attention to any of the subjects except for art and fashion. And I put everything into that for, you know, because that's all I loved to do and I just didn't see anything else. And that's the way my mind worked. I was a creative. I was not someone that could, you know, ace tests and whatnot. Um, and yeah, so I did a distance education course where I'd come into the city. Um, once a week and learn how to sew and everything. Um, and that was the path that I wanted to take um, into a career. And I still, you know, I did do that. I went into a degree for fashion and um, graduated, got a job in fashion, and kept that, I guess, creative career running. Um, but yeah, so I, I've always been someone that knew I'd be in some sort of creative field, but I've never really. I never thought I'd be an artist. That's definitely not a word that I thought I would call Mm -hmm. myself at any stage, Um, which is funny because it's something that, like, for example, my dad would always say, like, why aren't you you being an artist or why aren't you painting? Why aren't you selling your stuff? And I'd always be like, no, it's not something I can do. I think that's just the way you're brought up to, especially – At my age, growing up in that time, was you'd never really be able to be an artist. But now, God, with social media, (laughs) yeah, um, yeah, it's a whole different world. It really is, and I feel like it's created so many
0: different kinds of opportunities for artists Mm -hmm. that never previously existed. And talk to me a little bit about how this actually came into fruition for you, because what was it about weddings and wedding wedding Mm. illustration that really inspired you? Or or what was the first, you know, sort of couple of weddings or wedding that you actually sort of illustrated? Like, tell me a little bit about Mm. how that came to be.
1: So it all came quite naturally, which I'm, I'm very lucky that that's how it was. And I didn't feel like it was too much of a a, like a contrast change to what I was doing. So being in fashion and obviously loving art and fashion, naturally fashion illustrations were what I love to do in my, I guess, my spare time. That's a lot of the time what I was creating at home. So thanks to social media and whatnot, um, I put a lot of that Online and I was sharing a lot of it, and not in like a huge way, not to gain followers, like and not to create a business at all, in by any means, but just to share my work because I loved, I loved being creative in any form. And you know, Instagram came around and I was able to share that with a few more people. And um, I actually, the way wedding illustrations actually actually came around was because I illustrated um, like an influencer in her wedding dress with her husband and a friend saw it and she said, Oh, I'd love you to do that for me. And so I did. And she was my first paid customer. And I put that out there and it was so funny because honestly, this was such a a side hobby. It was nothing I ever saw making money. And then I, and then it just happened so quickly. People are asking, Oh, I would love you to do that for me. I'd love you to do that for my friend. Like it's such a lovely gift. And all of a sudden without you know, even a website without any paid marketing or anything, it was already getting a really natural momentum.
0: Mm. That that makes perfect sense, and I can see how it's really unfolded so organically for you because it, it doesn't sound like you even went into this thinking it would was going to become a, a business, but organically it just kind of evolved. And I'm guessing from that first sort of paid client, it then sort of led to another and another and mm-hmm. another. And how did you practically go about turning this from something that you were just passionate about and, you know, whether you want to call it a side hustle or a hobby or, you know, whatever it was to a full-blown business how did you practically go about doing that mm. what were the steps that you took to sort of go from i guess being an employee and doing this on the side to then making this your full time business
1: yeah i i i'm glad you asked like how did i do it practically because i feel like there's and don't get me wrong i love like this empowerment for small businesses because it's amazing that we can, can really take charge of and we, you know, working for ourselves and creating businesses out of hobbies or something that we just love. But I think glorifying that um, transition from a hobby to a full-time job, you know, it, it needs to be taken really seriously because it's, you know, we see so many people, I guess, through social media that all of a sudden overnight, I don't know whether it's like a TikTok goes viral or whatever happens, <laughs> all of a sudden they're like, business booms, you know? And I think it's important that um, you know you be really realistic about the process, and that it's it's very hard, and you need to you know make the right decisions for you and for your growth and for your future. And you know, for me, I was I was sharing my work, and I was getting a few paid customers quite consistently. And for me, it was. You know, quite like I'm. I, I always quite like a bit of a maths game. Like I really wasn't. I wasn't just up in the clouds and was like, oh, this is something I'd love to do, and I'm just going to take the risk and do it. It was something that I knew that okay, if I am getting a set amount of money with two days of work or one day of work, really, it was a week. Okay, well, imagine how many clients I could get with five days' worth of work if I really put the effort in. Like, and it really came down to that for me. I didn't want to like it wasn't that um i was just like you know what this is getting traction let me see if it's going to go well let me quit my full-time job and see if it works like i was in a quite serious full-time job at the time and i didn't want to just leave it for um a dream i wanted to make sure what i was going into was you know it was for a lifetime if you know what i mean like i didn't want something that's going to be um a fad for a year and then i um I lose momentum and whatnot. So, um, it was, I think I I had, like I said, like about six to eight months, my business was running really well on its own. And I was getting like, you know, like, um, just good, like side money. It wasn't definitely not a full-time job and it would never sustain me. But I knew that if I put like, like I said, five days worth into like, you know, a full-time job, if I put that into it, I really believe that I would be able to get so much more back. And I think as well in my full-time job, I was losing that, um, I guess that attention. And for me, when I love something or if I'm committed to something, I want my full attention to that. And I felt like I was not giving the current business what I should have been giving them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really you know, it's, it's really important that if you're, if you're in a full-time job and you have a side hustle, when you're in your full-time job and you're working for someone else on their time, your attention obviously should be there. And I could tell that slowly I was losing that and I would never want to do that to that business and whatnot. So, um, for me, that progress, that progression, it happened quite quickly, to be honest, it was only a couple months, um, that I could tell like even a month really, okay, this is, getting away from me. I need to make a decision for what's best for me to stay in my job or to, you know, step into a new, um, this new business. So yeah, it was, um, I think it was quite a natural and it was actually an easy decision for me, but that's because I think I thought about the right steps going into it and it wasn't, it didn't feel like a risk if that, um, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah. And it sounds like you did almost like a bit of market testing or a lot of market mm. testing before you actually made that leap. Because one of the things that you said, which I think is really important and is worth underscoring, is it wasn't just about a dream. It was about mm. practically how are you going to make this a business? You know, what mm. is the amount of money that you need in order to you know, sustain your lifestyle or sort mm-hmm. of practically be able to afford your bills and and so forth. Mm. And in some of the pre-reading and some of the materials that you shared with me before we recorded today, um, before we recorded this interview today, you let me know that you had also purchased your first investment property <laughs> only weeks <laughs> before you quit your job. And I feel like for a lot of people, the thought of not having that mm. secure secure income or that known sort of income flowing into their bank account each month is really terrifying. So mm. did you just get to a point that you knew that if you invested full-time hours into this, you were going to reap the rewards and that that business would... The, and that demand was there is that sort of the the stage that you got to or yeah. what was kind of your thinking around that
1: it's so funny because I think about it now and I'm like oh god like like <laughs> <what>? <laughs> I can't believe I did that like, I just, because it really was it was it was like weeks after and in a way it was actually I think everything happens for a reason because if I had waited any longer I probably wouldn't have gotten that loan because as a You know, self employed, you know, business owner that had only just started their business, I probably wouldn't have ever been been able to invest. So, um, but yeah, it's um, look, I knew that I had enough savings that I could at least get by for like six months without income. Do you know what I mean? Like I had enough, and my loan wasn't huge, it was a studio apartment. So it wasn't anything where I'm, you know, I felt like I would have been drowning in bills. But um, I did have a bit of backup and my business didn't need a lot to start up. Like it didn't need a huge amount of startup costs. So um, I did feel like quite safe. And I do like to make sure that like, you know, I come from a family that I know that my parents would have, you know, let me sleep on their couch if anything went wrong. You know, I, I didn't feel like I'd be literally Bankrupt or whatnot, if 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 something went wrong. So I did have that security in that sense, but I I I think I just felt really confident. Like I I think it's really important that if you're stepping into a new business, whether it's you know day one for your business or you know you know you've had your business for a year, I think you should be pretty confident that you know that there's a customer that wants to buy this for you, especially if you're leaving your job for it. And, you know, if, if you're at that stage where it's time to say goodbye to a, a nine to five, then you must feel confident enough that you're going to get people coming to you for your product and you feel confident in your product and confident in, you know, what you're creating enough to make that you know leap, whether or not, you know, we all have bills to pay. We all have things going on in our lives. So... You know, I think I did have probably a little bit of like naive confidence, but I'm glad that I did Mm. because I think you all need a little bit of that to start as well.
0: Yeah, I think you have to believe in what you're doing because if you don't believe in it in yourself then how are you going to sort of Mm. sell it to other people Mm, and show up with the level of you know confidence or audacity that you need to and Mm. I wanted to delve a little bit into the role of whether it's indirect or direct mentors in your life in helping you become you know an entrepreneur and you mentioned your parents a couple of times Mm -hmm. and you mentioned You know, conversations at the dinner table business was something that would often come up. So I guess I'm curious. This is a question you can tackle in whichever way you like. But Mm -hmm. firstly, you know, who were the people that you really looked up to from a business perspective, whether they're indirect or direct mentors? And if it's someone outside of your parents in your sort of immediate family, what were some of those things? that you really learned or or took away from those dinner table conversations?
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard. Like, I don't know that I have like direct like mentors or anyone in really specific that influenced me. Like, obviously I grew up with, um, you know, a family business. So my mum was a really strong businesswoman. She runs the business really well and they're very successful. So obviously having a woman like that and a mother like that was, would have, you know, change the way that I think about my own future and, um, would have shaped the opportunities that I knew I could, you know, I guess, um, path for myself as, as well. Like I, I always had this mentality and I don't know, I'm sure it's from my parents because who else is it from, but if I want something, I've always been someone who has said, well, you know, like, why, why can't I have that? Like, as long as I work hard for it, why can't, why cannot, why can't I aim for that? Um, And I also think it's, you know, growing up, I wanted to consume as much information about anything all the time. You know, my brother in particular is someone that, you know, even as a kid he would just know the answers to everything and he would because he would learn, you know, from even from YouTube back then or whatever it was, you know, you'd, you'd ask him a question, he would know the answer to it. And so I was around all these people that were, that loved business, that loved knowledge about so many different things. And I I guess I was the same too. Like I loved consuming, like I read a lot and I I read a lot about business and I read a lot about, um I don't know if you call it like mental health, but even like um, training your mind to be more creative and things like this. Like I loved consuming that sort of, that sort of knowledge. And even as a teenager, I liked that sort of um, topic. And even the people that I follow now on Instagram and the podcasts that I listen to, you know, it's funny, none of it's like for entertainment pur- purposes. It's all, I, I noticed that everything I consume is to learn and to grow. And so I think that, you know, the, the reason I am the way I am today is just because I always want to grow and I always want to, you know, explore more and learn more, which I think is so important. But I know that not everyone is like that. Um, but I think that's probably why being like a business owner is not something for me that is like, sounds like a risk or sounds like hard because it's just something that I'm so like naturally inquisitive for these things. And I, you know, I find it, um, I don't know, it's like a natural feeling. I don't know if um, maybe you can relate to something like that. Um, Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're describing
0: is having a growth mindset because, you know, people tend to fall into one of two categories, one being a growth mindset and one being a fixed mindset. And a growth mindset is that person which you've described as being yourself and I'm wired the same way. You know, I feel like I'm, you know, constantly the student and Mm -hmm. I, no matter what level of success I've achieved, I always feel like I've got more to learn, more to do, more to think about. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of transpired in this podcast where I go into every conversation with a natural curiosity and Mm -hmm. I ask the questions that I want to know from that person because I'm interested and I'm intrigued. And yeah. I think when you have that growth mindset, it means that you constantly get the benefit of learning because you're not shutting yourself off from it. You're not thinking, mm. you know, I I already know that, you know, you might already know it, but you may not have maybe heard it in that same way that might be yeah, really exactly. resonant. So I think it's really such an interesting conversation to have, but I think having that growth mindset you know, being someone that invests in themselves from a, you know, personal growth, personal development perspective. I'm such a big advocate for that. And it sounds like you are too. And um, it, it's really an interesting conversation in terms of some of these lessons that you've learned from your family or from other people in terms of having that curiosity and wanting to sort of be the student and, and learn more. And I wanted to ask you, Um, some questions around, you know, setting up and structuring your business, because there could be people that are listening to this episode that might be ready to sort of start thinking about taking that leap. Again, going back to that conversation around employee to entrepreneur. And I guess a question I wanted to ask you, and you can share as much as you're comfortable to share Mm -hmm. in this space, but how did you actually work out for yourself, how to price your services and your product. Because I think that this is something that a lot of Mm. entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs, whether they're offering some sort of service um, to others really struggle with, you know, knowing what their worth is, knowing what they should you know, put as their prices and I have a certain view around it, but I'd love if you could maybe share, and again, you you don't have to share your specific, you know, prices or anything like that, but more just like the thought process behind your pricing. If you could share something around that, I think that would be really useful for our audience.
1: Yeah, no, I I love that you asked this because I I do agree. I think there's probably a lot of people struggling with this, there's a lot of talk that can go around. Um, again, it's that conversation of empowering yourself and you know charging what you're worth. But you know, how do you know what you're worth? And how do you know what your products worth? Um, but I actually think there's a lot of trial and error that needs to be done, especially you know at the start of your business. I classify what I create is more of a service. So it it does depend if you're obviously creating a, you know, if you're selling a product that costs you a certain amount to purchase and, you know, obviously you know what that costs you and um, you know what your markup needs to be. But I would classify what I do as a service because it takes time. So that comes down to, I guess, an hourly rate. But even hourly, hourly rate aside, it's funny because... A lot of people now are saying, you know, put your rates up, charge, you know, whatever you want to charge, you know, charge, you know, what you think you're worth. And, you know, you're, you know, you're worth this much and you're charging, you know, you might be charging $50 an hour. You should be charging $150 an hour. It's like, whoa, like, okay, let's bring it back. And why, like, why is that messaging like going around so much? Because I personally believe and taking a bit of time to master what you're selling before you jump into putting that really high price tag on it. And even I've been in business, let's just say about three years with like, obviously my first paid client and my pricing has progressed quite naturally. I haven't all of a sudden one day gone, you know what? Like, I think I'm worth this much. I'm going to change my pricing. I really believe in like pricing what I, what I guess my quality is, and that's always going to change. So when I started, I felt comfortable pricing at a certain level because I was new and I was still learning and I knew my clients knew that as well. There was no hiding that I was a new business. And as I've progressed, I've been able to increase my prices based on demand, you know, based on, um, you know, the supplies I use, they get, you know, better in quality. And that will always be the way my prices will probably keep increasing. But I think like turning around one day and going, okay, my prices, you know, let's double them today because, you know, I want to make, you know, it's really great to be in charge of how much you want to make a year as well. Obviously backtracking the salary that you'd like to make. But I think being really honest and saying, I think this is what my product is worth now, whether that's, you know, maybe for you know for a couple years I was making way less than what I should have as a quote-unquote artist but I was fine with that because I was new and I wanted to master what I was doing before I went and put that price tag on my product especially because it comes with a lot of um like it comes with I, I don't know if you'd say like pressure and guilt because if you've got let's just say you're selling like and you know if you do you put that higher price tag on your on your um, product, you have to deliver that. You know, you have to make sure that you are, you know, setting, you know, your, um, how to explain it,
0: those that standards and that expectation. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. And you would never want to put pressure on yourself and feel like you can't because you've accidentally priced your product too high. Like you can work up to it. Like there's no rush. Like you, it's normal to progress your salary as your business grows and it's okay to not be making, you know, the big bucks to start. Like you will get there and then you will also feel so much prouder of yourself when you do get there there and when your product is worth that and you can see your product's worth that. I think um, that's really important because you want to feel proud of yourself and you never want to feel like, oh, am I overselling what I'm providing? Yeah. (laughs) It it feels
0: like you had a bit of a longer term strategy and longer term game in Mm -hmm. terms of your pricing, which is really... Interesting. And I can certainly see the merit, particularly like you said, when you are offering a service rather than a product, that you start at a a lower price point until you actually figure out, you know, what is it specifically that you're going to be known for? You know, what's your specific niche? How Mm -hmm. are people going to expect to receive that service from you? And there's a lot of trial and error in that um, at the early phases of business. And talking about niches, because I feel like you absolutely have that. And, you know, it's very clear from looking at say your Insta feed and your website that, you know, you do your thing and you do that thing really well. And I'm just curious to know from your perspective, how did you really you know, stick to your niche because I know um, there is often temptation to want us to do <laughs> yes. it all, um, to really try and be everything to everyone. And you can see that when people try to do that, it doesn't often succeed um but there seems to be a little bit of a, a bit of a mindset around some young younger entrepreneurs that they don't want to sort of shut themselves or or niche down too much mm. so i'd love if you could shed a little bit of light around how you did that and and how you've actually gone around sort of maintaining that niche market
1: yeah. Look, it is hard. I, there's so many things that I want to create and I could create and I even have like hanging on my walls. Like I have all these sketches and I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to launch that soon or I want to launch this soon. And it's funny. I really believe in, in like, like counting on, counting in on your niche, at, especially at the start of your business i think it's so important to be known for something quite specific to start and to gain that trust and allow like yourself to grow that, that you, like you know your customer base and your community because if you are covering too many grounds i think it's just going to get really confusing for um the people around you to know, okay, what is she, what is she specializing? What can I trust her with? You know, it's, I'm really lucky that I found this niche because especially for artists, it can be a bit hard to, um, to, I guess, um, to not get taken into your own, um, cause it's such a personal medium. So, you know, I could just create things that I want to create and hope that someone buys them. So I'm really lucky that I found in weddings as my niche. Um, but I think it, I do think it's really important that if, you know, as a small business or if any business owners are listening and they're like, oh, I don't know what, you know, which category I should be focusing on, like you should listen to the people that follow you now and listen to your customers and what are they actually buying from you? What are they asking for? You might really want to produce something else or create something and share that. But listen to the people that are what they're asking for now because slowly you'll build that, you'll build build your following, you'll build your clientele. And then once you're really known for something and you've gained that trust and then you can start touching on different things because... Then, you know, I feel like your customers will go, oh, she's, you know, she's, she's doing this now. And I feel like, you know, that looks really exciting and that's new. And, you know, when you've got so many things, I'm the same. I like, you know, I'm sure you're the same too, Lara. You probably follow businesses or follow people on Instagram or whoever it is, because they're really specific about, you know, one thing or one or a few things that they're really good at. And that's what you remember them for. And that's what you go to them for. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, I think we all do it. I'm sure we do.
0: Absolutely. No, that's really great. I love hearing your take on that. And I wanted to ask you, Adrian, because you mentioned, you know, your idea of a dream Friday night was like, you know, staying at home with a cup (laughs) of tea and drawing. And you've sort of mentioned um, again, in some of like my research for this episode around you being, you know, quite, quite introverted, um, someone who seems to have very high standards for themselves, probably perfectionistic tendencies. And I know I can relate to that because I'm sort of a recovered, I like to call it a recovered perfectionist who's still a work in progress, but I know what it's like to let perfectionism sort of you know, rule you and sort of take over from a a work perspective. And it can be very easy to really get caught into the detail um, and want everything to be perfect. Um, And often that's, you know, results Mm -hmm. in a level of inaction because we're so fearful of failing that you end up just like not doing anything at all or you end up procrastinating. And I'd love if you could share a little bit around your experience of someone who has perhaps some introverted tendencies or some perfectionistic tendencies, how have you actually managed those, you know, identified them, dealt with them in order to be successful in business?
1: It's so funny. Um, This is my complete downfall. Perfectionism (laughs) is definitely been something I've had to, um, I've actually had to like, I guess, I don't have anyone around me that's that's similar in that way. And it's something I deal with on my own. I don't really, um, I don't, you know, I I can't really relate to anyone or talk about it with anyone. But the reason my business looks a certain way and it, it can be of such a specific niche is because also I am quite a perfectionist and whatever I put out there, I want it to be of a certain standard, but it can be such a downfall for your business if it, really takes over. Like you said, um, you know, if you're too much of a perfectionist, it just causes you to be inactive. You know, you're not getting things done. I literally had a wall in my old apartment that was, and this is such like that Virgo side of me, it was all lists. It was a bi- all business lists of what I wanted to create that year and what I wanted on my website. Like it was too, it was so specific. And even people would come to my apartment and be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) And it's so funny because like, I don't even know how many things actually got ticked off that list because I was always planning and I was always, I always had the ideas and I wanted them to be amazing, but I was too much of a perfectionist that they never actually got done. You know, they, or, you know, only a few things got done. So I have my 2022, like, I guess, um, goal, <laughs> if you call it is a little bit of just do it. Like I was listening to this podcast the other day and, um, it was this mindset around, it was like a counting to three, like one, two, three. And in that time you had to either decide you're going to do it or you're not. And it's actually funny because it's helped me so much in the last um couple months, just disregard plans and disregard lists. Like I've literally, literally stopped making lists because that is just something I, or I'm like, I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with planning and it doesn't really get me anywhere. You know, lists can only get you so much, you know, you have so many lists before like your, you know, your plan is to make more lists about <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So it's really helped me, um, you know, just get stuff done. And if it's not perfect, it's okay. And, you know, most of the time it may not be perfect, but it's like usually perfect in someone else's eyes. You know, our level of perfect is never going to be the same level as our customers. Our customers think or our clients or our followers or whoever's viewing our business, they still think that what you're putting out there is incredible, even if it's not your level of incredible, if that makes sense. Like we have like incredible standards. Like we, we have honestly like insane standards for ourselves. So like, I really don't think that should hold you back. It's really important. You know, I'm someone, like you said, I'm an introvert. I love, I think I really get my energy from my work and from being creative, which sadly means I'm, you know, I take myself self away from a lot of social situations and not because I don't love them, but it's just that that takes a lot of energy from me. Whereas being at home and doing what I love, that fills my cup so much more. And sadly, that means I'm amongst my work and I'm, you know, it doesn't help that (laughs) perfectionist side of me because I'm so consumed by my work. Um, yeah,
0: it's a it's an interesting topic to delve into, mm-hmm. and I I can certainly relate to the perfectionistic side of things. Like one thing that I found really helped me in recovering from perfectionism <laughs> was applying the eighty twenty principle, which is mm-hmm. you know if it's eighty percent good enough, then just put it out. And yeah. I've applied that with everything that I do, everything, Mm -hmm. every piece of content that I put out, even podcast episodes, like the irony of recording a podcast episode around perfectionism. And I didn't want to put out that episode because I didn't (laughs) think it was good enough. And I was like, is it 80% there? Yes, it is. Just, you know, put it out and just don't think about it. And it's really interesting. I found that often the pieces of content that I've been the most reluctant to put out because I didn't think that they were good enough were the ones that were received the most or ones that resonated the most with people probably Mm -hmm. because they weren't perfect and they were real and I think that there's a certain level of vulnerability of you know putting ourselves out there and you know showcasing a side of ourselves that perhaps we don't want other people to see or to find out that guess what I'm not perfect but I think it's it it, to your point, you know, it doesn't really serve you when it comes to business and finding some sort of strategy or way, whether it's counting to three or applying an 80 20 principle. There's a lot of hacks and sort of tactical mm. ways that you can really uh, overcome that or, or just kind of help guide through as guiding principles in business yeah, and life.
1: I think too, like you don't want to miss your chance, chance. Sorry. I think. You're, you know, everything is so quick at the moment. You know, you have like even I feel it. I live like, you know, I work from home, you know, I paint for a living. You would expect such a calm and slow style of work. But even I feel so much pressure um to work at a certain pace, especially in Sydney. We have there's so much pressure to be um achieving certain things and working towards certain goals. And I think that just putting yourself out there and just putting what you're doing out there is enough, even if it's not curated the way you want it to be. It's not, It's not like we said, perfect to your standards. I think showing up and just being there and putting what you can out there is going to be so much better for you than planning to be perfect, missing your chance, because things are just moving too fast at the moment that, you know, you might be sitting on something for a month and then, you know, that month goes by and you're, you know, you've lost the momentum. You may have even lost, you know, that clientele that needed something by, you know, that date or, you know, you missed a special event, you know, whatever it is. I think just putting something out there and seeing how it's received is going to be so much better for you and your business than it is than sitting on something for months at a time because your level of perfection is just going to keep changing anyway. You're always going to be wanting to achieve more and wanting to be better. So just, just, I think, honestly, just do it because you're only your level right now is so much higher. Like your, sorry, your level of perfectionism is so much higher than the people around you. They think you're doing amazing. <laughs> they like, and you, I'm sure any business owners, can probably relate. They probably get comments and emails from clients saying like, Oh my God, I loved what you did. Or that was amazing. Like, I'd love you to share more of that. And I think just listen to that and, um, just try not to overthink it.
0: Mm, I think that's really great advice. It's like sometimes it's better, you know, done than not done at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really something to keep in mind in, you know, procrastinating and Mm -hmm. not doing the things that we should be doing um, can, you know, ultimately lead to you missing out. So I think that's a really great point that you make. And I've just got a couple of final questions for you, Adrian, before we jump into our rapid fire round. And I wanted to ask you a question, which I think is really interesting for entrepreneurs and for people who are employees. Um, and especially for those that are doing both, you know, people that are in that bucket of being an employee, but also working on their side hustle outside of work hours. How did you decide when you should do things yourself versus when you should outsource certain tasks. And and perhaps if you could give some examples of some of the things that you've decided to delegate or to outsource within your business as well, because I mm. think that a lot of people kind of want to do it all. And again, perhaps this feeds into that, you know, perfectionism that we've, we've spoken mm. about previously. How did you decide, you know, when... You should let go and what tasks you should let go of in order to be more effective in your work?
1: Yeah, this is um, a really hard one for me because um, having a creative business, I f- always feel like I have to be doing a lot of the work myself, being you know, whether it's image-based, social media, all of it really portrays my brand in a certain way. So I always felt like I really wanted a certain control over it. Um, and at the start, I think that's really good. I really, um, and I think, um, this actually came from, I think advice my mum gave me growing up and that it's, you know, you should always know a little bit about everything because when you go to hire someone, you want to make sure that you have an understanding of what they're going to be doing for you. And it, obviously, when we're when we're talking about specifics that you you know you need, you know specialized skills in, perhaps it's not that. But I think it's good to know a little bit about everything, so you really have an appreciation about what goes into your business and what the time it takes to do that and the skill it takes to do that. So at the start of my business, especially to save costs, I was definitely doing everything myself and I pretty much have been for the last three years. It's honestly only this month that I have decided to hire an assistant, which is like, again, I can't believe it took me this long, (laughs) but (laughs) honestly, I think it just on it. It came from burnout, to be honest. Because there's only like, there's only so many hours in the day and I can't do it all. And I know I cannot do it all, but I want to. And and, and it's horrible because I don't want to give up that, you know, for me, it's giving up a lot of communication with my clients, which for me is something I really don't want to give up, but my business cannot grow. If I don't, there is no way I can do that myself. And so it's just picking and choosing like what are you not really required for like, you know, what, what would someone else do better and what would alleviate so much more stress for you? You know, there's no need to be working from 6am to 12, 12 12am, you know, you don't, you don't need to be working that many hours a day. It's not sustainable. You're, you know, we don't earn a, you know, a salary and a living to be spending all that time at home working, you know, you need to enjoy your life. So I think you need to obviously find whatever it is that you feel comfortable with someone else being in control of. And also if you're not comfortable with it, I think you have to, I think you need to have that conversation with yourself and say, why, why am I not comfortable? Is it just that you've had control of your business for this long? Is it that you don't trust someone else? Because there are so many talented, very highly skilled people, and you are not the best of everything. Like I know we all think that we can probably do the best, but it's not the reality. There's so many people that you can help you. And I also think getting a second second opinion and having someone else in your team, if you're just a, if you're, you know, a sole trader, if you're, um, you know, a one man show at the moment, having someone else to bounce ideas off is also an amazing reason to hire someone else to join your team. Um, But I I honestly just think if you're looking for long-term growth, there is no way you cannot think about hiring help. You know, really in reality, you're not going to sustain your business growth.
0: Totally agree with you. And one of the things that we love to talk about on this podcast is Routines, habits, rituals, Mm. all of those things that really, you know, set up your day for success, set up your week for success prevent burnout, you know, um, increase your wellness, you know, what are, what are your Mm. kind of common things that you commit to and what does a typical day look like for you? Like, I love the granular details. So even just like Mm. from the moment you wake up, is there like a series of things that you like to do to sort of set your day up the right way? I'd love if you could share any details around Mm. that.
1: Yeah. Like I'm pretty, um, I'm someone who likes to think that I do whatever my body needs. So, for example, if I did have a really late night working because I, for some reason, had more energy that day, then I'll let myself turn off my alarm and sleep in that day if I need it. So I really listen to what my body needs as opposed to having like a really super routine day because especially having a creative job, I really feel like I'm my most creative and I work my best when I feel my best. And that might not be nine to five. You know, it is some sometimes odd hours. So, um, but I am a little bit of a creature of habit. Like I do like to wake up in the morning and have that half an hour to myself. And I like to wake up and have breakfast. And it's not that um, you know, I'm someone that tells myself I need to get up at 5 a.m. every morning, go to the gym. I'm not that like routine, but I just do like the smaller things that enable me to also you know, I guess reap the benefits of working for myself. There is great benefits of, you know, working from home and that's that I can take a walk in the afternoon if I feel like I need it mentally. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that whatever your small habits are, they don't need to be, you know, timed. They don't need to be scheduled in the day. If you, you know, if you feel your body works better, when you do um, listen to it and move to, move to what you need in that day. So yeah, um, my, um, my routine is ever changing. I need to get back into, it's very hard post COVID, you know, I feel like our routines were really interrupted for a while there. And um, now I feel I'm getting back on track with, especially for my mental health. You know, I um, have only just started, um, I used to try and meditate Um, in the mornings, but I've found like, for me, it's better at night to help me go to sleep. So little things like that. And it's just adapting to what I need in that moment. You know, we're all going through different seasons of, you know, whether, whether it's a slow season for our business, a busy season, it's just, for me, it's just listening to my body and whatever I need that day and working so I can work the best that day.
0: Yeah. I feel like tapping into your intuition and listening to Mm. your body is huge. And it's certainly something I've been focusing on and paying a lot more attention to of late um, because your body's always giving you signs, whether it's to slow yeah. down, whether it's to say no to something, to do something, you know, it's it's always speaking to us. And I guess, you know, it's like that Oprah Winfrey qu- quote of, you know, your, our bodies are always speaking to us and the fundamental question is, will you listen? And that's <laughs> exactly. really, you know, stuck with me because yeah. I feel like it really does act as a guiding light. And I think when you tap into that intuit, into intuition and inner sort of body wisdom, it, it never serves you wrong. You learn to trust it more. And, um, I found that it's, it's really served me quite well. And Adrian, I wanted to jump into our rapid fire round. And the first question I wanted to ask you is what is one piece of advice that you would give to your 20
1: year old self? Oh, my 20 year old self, my gosh. Um, honestly, I feel like I would just say like, you're doing well. Honestly, I, I, I can't say that there's any life-changing advice I'd give myself at that age I think you know we're all going through whatever we're going through at 20 years yeah. old so, but yeah I think you know I'd like to um think that what I was doing at that age was um the best of my intentions and yeah um so yeah not not to not be hard on myself at that age as well
0: yeah it's it's like it's going to be okay I think exactly. it's something that constantly <laughs> comes up for 20 year olds and um yep. what is is one thing that you've gotten better at saying no to? And part two to that question is, do you have any strategies for people who find it difficult to say no, whether it's invitations, requests, etc.?
1: So in terms of business, I've actually noticed that I've gotten a lot better at saying no to clients that are requesting things that I just don't feel comfortable with. But like when I was early stages of business, I really wanted to say yes to every single opportunity. And especially I just wanted to also bring in that income. So I was saying yes to everything and I would really regret it later. And now I've, I've gotten a lot better at saying only saying yes to what I I genuinely want to do. And that has, I think, brought so much, such a better energy to me, um, this year and last year, especially, um, Personally, I think, you know, being an introvert, I've become more comfortable saying no to situations that I just know I won't get the most out of for me, you know, whether that's like, you know, I know we've all had the stage where, we're, you know, we're young and we're partying and whatnot. And I think for me that doesn't fill my cup anymore. You know, for me, it's going out with friends and enjoying a slower day than it is a bigger night. And, you know, whether it's social pressures that make you want to feel like, make you feel like you want to say yes to those things. You know, I've become a lot more in tune with my body and knowing that it might not be for me. And that's okay. If it not, you know, whether it is once a month that I go out or, you know, once every couple months, whatever it is that I, you know, need is okay.
0: Mm, I love that. Question three, what is the best investment that you've ever made?
1: Oh, best investment. Look, it's going to sound cliche, but I just think the investment into myself and my business, I think I do not regret a day that goes by that I um, invested in my um My business, and yeah, I'm really happy I did. And um, even despite all the challenges that came with it, and I'm sure will come with it in the future, um, I definitely do not regret um, making that leap.
0: Mm. Question four: What is one motto, quote, or saying that you live by, or maybe just you know a favorite quote or saying that you might have?
1: Oh, so look. There, there are two. So I actually have a quote that's um, tattooed on my wrist. So it says "Life is beautiful" in Italian, and it's something that my family grew up saying. And it's something that's gotten me through a few rough times. And it's just, it's, it's not visible to anyone. It's just visible to myself, and it really grounds me and just reminds me that there are bigger things going on in the world and bigger problems, and you know, just. Gives me a bit of calm if I'm ever anxious or ever stressed out. Um, the second one, I'm not going to be able to quote it word for word, but it just is a quote about living in the moment and remembering that our, you know, our successes are going to be changing day by day, year by year, and to really appreciate where you are now and to celebrate where where you are now because I think a lot of us are forgetting that. You know, we really have our eye on this end game or this end goal, but that's always going to be changing. So, you know, we really need to celebrate where we are now because, you know, you know that was once a dream of yours, where you are now you know, you would have dreamt to be here. So to celebrate now and to really, um, yeah, appreciate where you've come, how far you've come. Mm,
0: I love that. And really being the present moment. I feel like that's exactly. such a great reminder. And final question, what habit, routine or ritual has most positively impacted your life?
1: I do think it's um, meditation and my breath work with, as I suffer um, quite regularly from anxiety and um, like asthma inducing anxiety, it's really been a blessing to find that. So I use the Calm app actually. And yet um, it makes a big difference um, in my day-to-day and especially in my sleep.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you said that you do that now in the evenings. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it it makes the most sense to me. I have quite like a calming job. So my day, it's not like I'm rushing around and really anxious. So I love to end my day with, you know, with a meditation because it allows me to get everything out of my head. You know, I'm someone who can fall asleep and my mind is racing. You know, I'm especially being, you know, a business owner, a lot of people can, I'm sure can relate. You just constantly thinking about things. So I think that nighttime routine is perfect because it allows me to just let go of whatever's on my mind that has been on the day, on my mind for the day. Mm,
0: I I think that's so great. I love meditating in the evening as like part of a mm. wind down routine as well. Yeah. And I feel like it really does help to slow down those thoughts. And sometimes our mind can just be racing around all of the things that happened that day or that conversation it just kind of puts that all exactly, to, yeah. to rest um, before you need to wind down and get some sleep. But Adrian, where are the best places for people to find you and connect with you and see more of your work?
1: Yeah, so um, my business is predominantly all on social media. So it's in, on Instagram. So it's um, by Adrian Monteverdi. Even if you write Adrian, I'm sure I'll pop up as many people with um, my name on Instagram, which is great. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm very um, present on my social media page. So if anyone ever wants a chat, they can just DM me on there, and yeah, that's where they can find me.
0: Amazing. Well, we'll put the link to your Instagram and website in the show notes to make it really accessible and easy for people to find. But, Adrian, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you today. I've loved learning more about who you are and, you know, the woman behind, you know, all those fabulous illustrations. So, thank you so much for coming on and for so openly sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners would have loved it as well.
1: Thank you, Lara.
0: And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Until next time, bye for now.
1: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boss in Heels podcast. Be sure to visit bossinheels.com for a ton of information, resources and articles on all things career and personal development and
0: subscribe to this podcast for all future episodes.